Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. Well, we've got, we've got quite a mess on our hands today, don't we? You know, you would think with all of our technological advancements, it, it seems rather antiquated that our best medicine to fight this, this virus is to simply stay away from other people. Uh, now, logic says this should work if people will behave and do what they're supposed to do, but honestly, I, I do worry about the cost. In some ways, the economic effect may actually last longer and bring on more suffering than the virus itself. Uh, one of the interesting things that's transpired, however, as a result of this virus is, is that people are growing more and more willing to talk about matters of faith. This article actually appeared on the cover of the New York Times on April the 2nd. Now, uh, let's be clear, uh, the writer, Elizabeth Diaz, she's not necessarily writing from a, a conservative biblical perspective, uh, but she's talking about a religious word, the, the apocalypse, and she writes this article from a rather, uh, more like a religious smorgasbord, rather than an evangelical understanding of the last days. However, the fact that the, the editors of the New York Times allowed this article to sneak onto their cover, their, the front page, it, it tells us something very important. It tells us that this is a subject that people are increasingly more willing to talk about. In the article, Diaz wrote this. She says, For people of many faiths, even none at all, it can feel lately as if the end of the world is near. Not only is there a plague... But hundreds of billions of locusts are swarming East Africa. Wildfires have ravaged Australia, killing an untold number of animals. A recent earthquake in Utah even shook the Salt Lake City Temple to the top of its iconic spire, causing the golden trumpet to fall from the angel Moroni's right hand. These are certainly interesting days. And though I certainly echo the prayer of John at the end of Revelation, even so, come Lord Jesus, we need to continue to remember that we live in a world that's very much fallen. Paul even speaks to this in Romans chapter 8. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing, longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Jesus, of course, said something very similar in Matthew chapter 24. Speaking of famine and war and earthquakes, he said, all of these things, as you hear about them more and more, are but the beginning of the birth pains. 
So the mess that we're in today, it, it certainly gives us reason to pause, to reflect on the promises of the Lord, to return, to set all things right. But this mess also reminds us of the long-term consequences of sin in a fallen and broken world. I think we as the church join with John together. Even so, come Lord Jesus. As we've been working our way through the Bible in these 16 steps, we've been tracing God's promises. Last week we ended on a, on a high watermark with the establishment of King David's throne and God's promise to maintain that throne forever. However, we still recognize that we've really not seen the fulfillment of that Genesis 3.15 promise. The serpent was still very busy. In fact, in our story, we get no further than King David's children and grandchildren before we see the obvious influence of the serpent. The nation of Israel found itself in a mess that was as nasty as anything we've encountered today. It was a disaster on multiple fronts. Politically, the, the nation of Israel survived just one generation after David. Not only did the nation split, the two nations would become the target of other world powers. Names like the Assyrian Empire and the Babylonian Empire came onto the scene. They changed the, the landscape of the Middle East forever. Spiritually, the, the nations were in even greater danger. They were a far greater disaster. Instead of faithfully following the Lord, these nations quickly turned to gross idolatry. Instead of following God's laws, the law was locked in the closet of a temple. Now, the people still needed regular sacrifices to deal with sin, but even that system was abused and neglected. The priests would, would profit from that system. They would use substandard sacrifices. And during this time, the, the Lord constantly raised up men to speak on His behalf called the prophets. And they would not only call God's people to repentance and warn the nations around Israel about their own peril, many of the prophets had a forward-looking ministry that, that looked into the future, that looked towards a time of God's future redemption. What you find when you read the prophets is, is mingled within their messages and warnings about the present. There was also a forward-looking hope of how God would ultimately clean up the mess and satisfy all of His promises and all the provisions of His covenant. This morning, our journey through the storyline of the Bible will consider the words of one of these prophets, the prophet Isaiah. This morning, we will find ourselves in Isaiah chapter 53. If you're at home and you've got your Bible and you're able, I would encourage you to stand this morning as we read God's Word together from Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 through 6. Who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, 
yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the promise of Isaiah. We thank you for this servant of which the prophet Isaiah speaks. We pray, Lord, as we consider these words this morning, that you will help us to look to Jesus, the one who took our place for our sins. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. When we first read this passage, we are confronted with the fact that the servant has to endure a terrible reality. Christians, we read this and, and we're like, I know who this is, I know who this passage is, is talking about, but I would ask you this morning to suspend your excitement for just a moment and consider the picture that Isaiah is painting for us. This servant of which he speaks would be despised and rejected by men. This servant is one who bears our griefs and carries our sorrows. The servant is one who was pierced and crushed due to our rebellion. When we read this, we understand that the servant of which Isaiah speaks is in fact a suffering servant. Now, if Isaiah 53 here were a job posting, I can't see that it's a job that anyone would apply for. It doesn't sound appealing at all. As human beings, let's be honest, we do our very best to, to avoid suffering. No one really just seeks out suffering for the fun of it. I was, I was disturbed when I read that the coronavirus is, is fed by ibuprofen. We don't know if that's true or not, but that's some of the news that, that we've heard. I tried to buy Tylenol at Walgreens the other day, and the shelves were cleaned off of Tylenol because I'm a wimp when it comes to headaches and aches and pains, and I want to doctor that headache and doctor that ache and pain as, as much as I can. You know, there's certainly seasons, though, where we do have to go through hardship, but it's a universal human urge to try to alleviate that hardship. Got a headache? Take a pill. Back hurting? Visit a chiropractor. Lost a job? Go to the unemployment office. We want to alleviate the hardship in our life. However, we need to understand that this servant that the prophet Isaiah speaks of that he takes on this suffering voluntarily in, in spite of the pain, in spite of the cost. All we like sheep have gone astray, Isaiah says, but hear the words of Jesus from John chapter 10, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And here we are, these sheep who've gone astray, yet the good shepherd gladly lays his life down for us. You know, the servant here would be despised in spite of his role in redemption. It should not surprise us that there are so many in our world today who are hostile to the things of God. There's a very simple reason for this hostility. You see, the servant here in Isaiah 53 is one who, who offers to take iniquity upon him. But the reality is, is that in our fallen condition, sometimes we just prefer our sin. 
over the rescue that's been offered to us. Jesus said in John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. What an incredible offer that's extended to folks today. There's no greater offer that has been extended than the offer of salvation that's described here for us in John chapter 3, verse 16. But if you skip down just a couple of verses to John chapter 3, verse 19, look at what Jesus says. This is the judgment, meaning this is what he has determined. This is the reality. This is the truth in which we live. John 3, 19. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. You know, if you find today that people aren't all that receptive to the gospel, then the fact of the matter is, is you're just dealing with somebody who really loves their sin more than the offer of salvation. They're, they're like the Israelites that the prophets here are warning about. Warning after warning after warning from the prophets to turn from their sin and trust the Lord. Yet so many of the prophets' warnings were rejected. They were mocked for their zeal. They were persecuted. They were punished. Only because people preferred their sin. You know, culture has changed Technology has changed. I, again, I think of how this would have affected the church had this happened 20 years ago uh, when you had that sound whenever you went on the Internet, that, uh, that modem dialing up. Uh, you would still be buffering this service this time tomorrow. <laughs> we see so much has changed. But there is a fundamental reality about human beings that has not changed. In spite of all the developments that we see, it's the same problem that we had in the Garden of Eden. It's just a little sin. It won't hurt. Surely God didn't mean. Surely that's not what He intended. But the fact of the matter is that our rebellion against God is absolutely devastating. And in fact, it's so devastating that many of us not only reject God's offer of forgiveness, we openly mock Him for even making the suggestion that we need forgiveness. In spite of our mocking, God still sends His servant to pay for our iniquity. The servant does something that only Jesus can do, satisfies that ultimate role of being a substitute. You see, the problem in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, the Old Law, is the fact that every single year there was a need for an animal sacrifice to serve as a substitute. The animal shed its blood to atone for the sins of the people. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the Passover lamb, that the lamb shed its blood so that the angel of death would pass over the home that spilled the blood of the lamb. However, that animal's blood never really dealt with sin. That's why year after year after year, it was necessary for there to be more sacrifice. Yet in the sacrifice, there was a very real sense that the animal was laying down its life on behalf of the worshiper, the one offering the sacrifice. 
The suffering servant became the one who would function as the perfect substitute. Listen to chapter of Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6 again. He was pierced, why? For our transgressions. He was crushed, why? For our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah clearly paints the picture of one who would serve as a perfect substitute. The Apostle Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The reformer Martin Luther called this the great exchange, where our sin is exchanged for Christ's righteousness. He takes our place. He is the perfect substitute. So the prophet Isaiah, it's incredible, he was able to see God's ultimate solution to the problem of sin nearly 700 years before Jesus was born. That's been the solution all along. The suffering servant is the one who would right the wrongs of the garden. The one who would crush the head of the serpent. The one who would bring the blessing of God's presence to the nations. The one who would serve as the lion of the tribe of Judah. The one who shed his blood to satisfy the wrath of God. The one who would occupy the throne of David forever and ever. And the one who would take your place and take my place as a perfect substitute. Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verse six, verses 6 through 8, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. On our Christian calendar, we understand that today is Palm Sunday. Churches all over the world on a day like today would gather and many would wave palm branches and would decorate and would begin the celebration of this week that culminates next Sunday with the resurrection. But before the resurrection occurs, there is much suffering that our Lord endured during this week. There's no clearer fulfillment of prophecy than when we compare the events of Jesus' last days and the words of the prophet Isaiah here in chapter 53. And this present age in which we live that has come upon us with rapid speed should serve as a potent reminder for the church. You see, when we consider what our Lord went through on our behalf, none of us should be surprised when we have to walk through difficult seasons in our lives. Listen to Romans 8.18 again. I referenced it earlier. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. In John 16, Jesus reassures us, in this world you will have troubles. But listen to what Jesus says in context. John chapter 16, verse 32. 
Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Church, we ought not be surprised of the challenges that we currently face. But while we ought not be surprised, neither should we feel abandoned. Jesus promised to his disciples in the Great Commission upon his departure is, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And though those first disciples have died and they have gone on to be with the Lord, we are still living as the church today anticipating the end of the age. And I firmly believe that Jesus Christ is with his church today inasmuch as he was with those disciples when he left them at his ascension. He is still with us promising to never leave us nor forsake us, promising to empower us that even though we face challenges today that our generation has perhaps never faced, the Lord Jesus Christ is with us in power and in grace. And even if this season should result in our suffering, and even if this season should result in our death, Jesus promises that he will always be with us and will never leave us or forsake us. And even if our hearts today are compelled a little more intently than perhaps this time last year, we're compelled to, to perhaps even consider that maybe the end of the age is near. Even at that, it doesn't change Jesus' promise of his presence. It doesn't change what he's done on our behalf. This morning, we need to understand, if you're listening to this broadcast, either live or in hours and days to come, you need to understand that Jesus has offered to take your place. He wants to be the source of your forgiveness. He wants to take your place. He wants to take your sin from you. As the prophet Isaiah said here, that the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He wants to take your sin, your iniquity, and place it on the back of the Lord Jesus Christ. On Friday, Good Friday this week, we will focus on the crucifixion of our Lord. And it is at his crucifixion when he declared that it is finished, that that battle with sin was once and for all settled. He took care of it. It, and he offers to rescue you today from your sin. He suffered on your behalf that you might know the blessing of his eternal presence. This morning I would give you the opportunity to make that decision today, to let the Lord Jesus rescue you from your sin, to take your place, for, to pay the price for your sins once and for all, that you might find forgiveness for your iniquity. Would you join me in prayer? God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the privilege that we have together in this way. And even though it's less desirable than what we would typically long for, Father, we understand that the gospel is still powerful. The gospel is still saves. We pray that you will move in the days and weeks to come as people 
are concerned about the things of God, as they are concerned about the significance of, of what they have, uh, what they're experiencing and enduring. And we pray, Lord, that you will, uh, God, do great things. We pray, Lord, for the day that the church can come back together that we will come back together in spirit and in truth, and we will come back together not in the same way that we once were, but that we will come back together with the recognition that you have called us into the communities around us, into our neighborhoods, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And though we are scattered to our own homes right now, God, we long for the day when we come together only to be deployed every, each and every time we gather. Lord, we thank you for Jesus, for the servant who took our place, who paid the penalty for our sins, who healed us by his injuries. God, we pray that if there's any in the reach of this broadcast today, that if they need to find that forgiveness, that they can do so today. We pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.